multiple questions regarding the drone attack on a U.S. base in northeastern Jordan. The Iranian-backed militia killed three U.S. soldiers and injured dozens of others. President Biden said today, we will respond. To get a sense for what that might look like, we turn to global security expert Hal Kempfer. Tragically, this is the first time that we have uh, suffered uh, you know, deaths. The expertise of global security expert Hal Kempfer helps to fill in the blanks on a drone attack on U.S. forces in the Middle East. The White House blames an Iranian-backed militia, and the president promised this. Overall, our policy is not to broaden this war. We don't want to turn into a major regional conflict. On the other hand, uh, you know, this is not something that we can stand back and allow to occur, because if we do not respond forcefully enough, it will invite more attacks. The White House has not and might not detail what the response looks like. Kempfer imagines more sanctions for Iran and attacks in Iran's positions in the countries that surround the remote logistics outpost known as Tower 22. I imagine we're going to look at a variety of means to pressure Iran to, uh, to stop this. I would not be surprised if we again attack uh, Iranian uh, positions or Iranian forces that are in Syria and possibly Iraq. He also theorized the attack adds fuel to the feud between the Sunnis and the Shias and is mostly a propaganda victory. It's really to embarrass the U.S. and to some degree to get the U.S. more involved in this conflict. I think what the Iranians would want is that the U.S. becomes very involved in a somewhat of a regional quagmire. I asked Kepfer what kind of drone successfully evaded the air defense system at Tower 22. That information hasn't been released. He theorizes the militia might have discovered a weakness in that system. It also is not known what kind of warhead or missile struck the base. Whatever it was, it struck the sleeping quarters on the base, which might explain how so many were affected. Here on the Rob Manus Show live at Patriot.tv. And we have our X Spaces simulcast audience with us over there. How are you guys doing, Shell and Kat? Excellent, Colonel. Can hear you loud and clear. Well, folks, three dead Americans is uh, what the tragic issue is here. Three dead American soldiers in Jordan. It's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. The ground forces at bases in Iraq, Syria, and Jordan have no mission. They really, really haven't for years. We've got to do something, and we've called for their redeployment home uh, for all of those years, ever since President Donald Trump completely defeated the ISIS caliphate. These troops are nothing more than sitting ducks, tripwires to justify wider and wider escalation of a Middle East war that would never have happened if Trump was president. There are many questions about the attack that have yet to be answered. Initial reports about how and why this tragedy was allowed to happen indicate there may have been some really incompetence in decisions by commands and uh, specific training issues and leaked information to the enemy that they've made a They've been able to uh, exploit. We're going to discuss those and what the future should look like for the United States in the Middle East with uh, retired Navy commander and attack pilot, Dr. Randy Arrington. Commander Arrington, welcome back to the Rob Manus Show. You know, Colonel, it's always good to be with you, and thank you for having me. Well, uh, sorry about the little mic mix up at the beginning there, but uh, first question, my friend, is uh, how did they get this drone into the compound with such a good air defense system? Well, I think that enemy drone could have been using uh, electronic countermeasures to fool the American defenses at Tower 22. Uh, their IFF uh, could have been sending friendly signals or jamming our air defenses there at Tower 22. And to me, this type of sophistication in the drone points a direct finger at, at Iran as the provider of these drones. 
And uh, that, that's, that's exactly what's happening, despite what you might hear from other people. Uh, Iran is backing these people, and in proxy, we're backing them too, because the Biden administration released $6 billion to the Iranian government. And that's something that Trump never did. Trump basically bankrupted them and kept them silent for a long time. Trump actually told the supreme leader of Iran, if you threaten America in any way, I'm going to decimate your nation with such force as has never been seen in history. And that kept Iran quiet for a long time, Colonel. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people forget that the Iranians uh, shot down and captured uh, a a, a very leading edge technology combat drone that belonged to the United States when we were at, in Afghanistan and never returned uh, those materials to us. Uh, uh, do you think they could have exploited the uh, command and control uh, and uh, communication suite in the, that particular drone in order to maybe spoof the air defense system into thinking that their attack drone was a friendly? That's kind of the rule. Well, either that's. Either that spoofing took place or the, the countermeasures that were jamming our air defenses there at Tower 22, uh, or uh, the uh, Iranian drone was mistaken for a returning American drone that was supposed to come back pretty much at the same time. We don't know what the answer is. We'll probably never find out. But we need to make sure that we can protect our forces that are there. And you said it earlier, we need to get these, these boys and girls back home because there is no mission. There is no mission. The mission for them initially was against ISIS, which Trump defeated five years ago, Colonel. There's no reason for those people to be there. They're basically just sitting ducks or bait for the Muslims. Bring them home now. Uh, so you agree with me uh, that, uh, the as the title of the show says, the forces in Iraq and Syria have no mission. Uh, exactly. And that might explain some of the strangeness about the, uh, the results of this attack. You know, uh, uh, initial reports are that these people, the soldiers, and many, many more were in a soft-sided tent uh, because the base command had decided that that tent could be used as like a transition quarters, folks. When people move in and out, organizations move in and out, they'll bring incoming people into temporary uh, quarters and move outgoing people into temporary quarters as they swap uh, quarters around. But most of these quarters, they've been being attacked since October 8th or so, 160, 170 or so attacks uh, uh, throughout the area. And this particular base has been hit numerous times. Uh, uh, to put troops of any kind in soft-sided tent quarters as a living quarter, uh, when your attacks are coming at night, doesn't make any sense to me. It smacks of incompetence in command. Do you think diversity, equity, and inclusion focused uh, an over-focus on that issue, maybe having an impact on the quality of the decision-making that's uh, putting our troops' lives at risk, Doc? I do. And, you know, I think these uh, affirmative action uh, flag officers uh, and the ideologues in Washington, D.C., they're mostly about show business. But for me, and I'm sure for you too, when our soldiers' lives are on the line, we must call them out for their foolish, uh, emotional-driven thinking. That's exactly what's happening right now. And instead of a meritology, which you and I grew up with uh, in the Navy and the Air Force, it's about this, uh, they got to look like a certain aspect of our country. We need them to be, uh, we need equity inclusion, diversity. Diversity, sir, is not a strength unless you have it assimilated into our nation. Unassimilated diversity is a huge weakness that can destroy a nation, and we're headed in that direction, Colonel. Oh, we absolutely are. You know, the other thing that I've heard from uh, folks that are recent commanders of reserve units and, uh, and guard units, uh, Army, as a matter of fact, uh, same kind of unit that these folks were in, is that their spin-up training is not good enough uh, and effective enough at this point. And that could lead right back to that diversity, equity, and inclusion craziness, too. Well, let's go over to our Spaces audience. We do have one hand up over there uh, uh, to uh, take a question from them. Go ahead, Kat, Shell. Hi, Chair. Um, regarding the, the drone specifically that was used, is it possible that this drone could have been 
uh, taken from everything that we left in Afghanistan? And do they have the technology to be able to activate a drone if it was left behind? Well, I'll take that one first, Doc, uh, give you my opinion on it. It's opinion only and speculation, uh, but, uh, you know, with technology uh, today, uh, folks, uh, uh, the enemy uh, is almost on an equal playing field with uh, uh, countries like the United States when it comes to technology and knowledge level and expertise level. Uh, that has kind of uh, become level. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if they have the capability to take devices that were left behind, uh, examine them, compare them to things uh, that American military industrial companies have built before, compare them, like I said, to the stealth drone that they shot uh, down uh, a few years ago before we left Afghanistan, and look at those technologies and then bring together a package that would enable them to use an aircraft like that uh, uh, so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Doc, your opinion? These drones have to have a secret code uh, put into them uh, for them to become active. So is it possible that they uh, somehow breached that uh, knowledge and found that code? I, I guess it could be possible, but I think that's highly doubtful. I think this is a drone that was built in, in Iran and uh, sent to these uh, these Muslim proxies uh, all over the Middle East. So I don't I don't think that, uh, you know, they had the code to start and operate that drone. Yeah, I don't think they could use it to crack into an American code, but they definitely could replace that transponder and that activation system with one of their own and then use the aircraft and airframe itself. Uh, well, we've got time for another question uh, from the Spaces audience. Go ahead. See another hand up. So Go ahead, Webb. Hi, Colonel. Thanks for uh, taking me. Uh, can you expand a little bit on Iran's like emergence on the world scene as the number one uh, provider of of these drones? They're giving drones to Russia, to, and it, it seems like that only just started uh, relatively recent in the last couple of years. There was never, I, I don't remember ever hearing anything about the, the fledgling, you know, drone technology that was coming out of Iran until they were actually using it. Well, I, I think that's a perception uh, discussion, and Dr. Arrington may have more information on this, uh, because, uh, you know, we see the shit, like the Shahed drone uh, that the Iranians produce is being sold to Russia. Russia's using them for now, what, going on their third year, uh, into their third year in combat in, in Ukraine. Uh, and uh, they started, they didn't use them initially, I don't believe, uh, but except for onesie twosies, you know. Uh, but then, obviously, it looks like production's ramped up in Iran, and it's probably because of an infusion of dollars from the Russians buying uh, gear from them, uh, aid from China because they're a close Chinese ally, uh, and aid from the United States. Remember, Joe Biden released $6 billion back to these folks uh, not that long ago, and that's what's enabled, quite frankly, their financial condition is what's enabled uh, them to produce these devices, uh, sponsor and, and equip uh, the Hezbollah militias all throughout Syria and Iraq and Gaza, uh, and, and quite frankly, it emboldened them to try to pull off this attack on October 7th against Israel uh, from the Gaza Strip. Uh, uh, and uh, none of those things would have happened had Donald J. Trump's policy of maximum pressure been in place. But, Doc, you got about 30 seconds before we go to the break. I remember when I was DHS uh, deputy director in San Diego, I visited the, the Global Atomics uh, facility where they're building these drones. And guess what? There was a contingent of Iranians in the building that day. So perhaps we're training them like we always do. We're, we're the uh, authors of our own demise sometimes. Uh, yes, we are with money, training, and equipment. Uh, well, we got to take our first break, Dr. Errington, uh, and to our Spaces audience. Thank you for listening in and asking questions. We'll be right back to the Rob Mana Show Live. More War Mondays on Patriot.tv.
the world is about to shift. Banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency, which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile. It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 877-547-5743. That's 877-KIRK-PHD. Well, we're talking with Dr. Arrington here on the Rob Manus Show Live. It's more War Mondays on Patriot.tv. And go ahead and bring up uh, clip two, Mr. Producer. Continuing coverage on airstrikes launched on Iranian-backed targets in Iraq and Syria. Hello and thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Lori Johnson. And now, Frank Malloy. President Biden ordered the strikes involving US B-1 bombers. They were in response to a drone strike that killed three U.S. soldiers Sunday. All three soldiers were from Georgia. The U.S. is targeting militia who they believe conducted the attacks and people in Iranian facilities who've been helping them. It is a major escalation of tensions in the region, which sparked October 7th after the militant group Hamas attacked Israel. A few hours before today's strike, the remains of the three soldiers returned to U.S. soil, President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden joined the families of the fallen soldiers for a solemn event. Yesterday, the president paid tribute to the fallen troops. They risked it all, and we'll never forget the sacrifices and service to our country, that the dozens of service members who were wounded and are recovering now. The fallen soldiers, Sergeant William Rivers of Carrollton, Specialist Kennedy Sanders of Waycross and Specialist Brianna Moffat of Savannah. More than two dozen other U.S. troops were wounded during the strike. The remains of the soldiers now go from Dover Air Force Base to their final resting places. Well, welcome back to Rob Manus Live. Uh, we're talking with uh, retired U.S. Navy Commander uh, Dr. Randy Arrington, a former attack pilot, uh, lots of experience uh, flying off carriers and uh, in the Middle East uh, and those kinds of things. Well, Doc, uh, the airstrikes finally did happen, uh, but there has been a lot of blowback from uh, former military members, including myself. You know, uh, this administration continuously telegraphs its punches. You know, we just hit 166. Uh, uh, DIMPIs, desired mean points of impact on 86 targets, uh, and we told them we were coming. We told them what we were going to hit, and I think only about 33 or 34 uh, combatants uh, lost their lives or were wounded in all of those attacks, uh, and that's because they were evacuated targets, and that means their equipment was more than likely evacuated too, and we just happened to catch those that were slow on the uh, uptake. Your thoughts? Well, when I did my research for this segment, Colonel, I found out some things. One, that B-1 bombers were used by America in this attack. And again, I thought the B-1 bomber uh, was retired from service the week after you retired, but I guess I was wrong. Uh, America must not be perceived by our enemies as willing to do anything for peace because yes, that policy pretty much guarantees war. We got to go peace through strength. In the aftermath of those deadly attacks on Tower 22, Joe Biden actually telegraphed three things to the world. One, that America will retaliate at a time and place of our choosing. Two, we don't have any direct evidence, direct evidence that Iran has supplied these militia groups. And three, we want to avoid a wider conflict uh, leading to a regional war. Now, all three of those things sound kind of nice, but the message it sends to Iran and the Muslim militias in the Middle East is that there is a magic number of American deaths that the Biden administration is willing to withstand. And guess what? It hasn't really been reached yet. What that magic number is, we don't know. But I know this, deterrence is very hard to achieve and somewhat easy to throw away, Colonel. Yeah, and it's very difficult to reestablish deterrence when uh, 
when it has failed, like what we have witnessed around the world today with the, the vaunted uh, deterrent forces of the United States of America and the uh, Western allies have completely lost the ability to even deter ragtag militias out in the desert. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, are you surprised that they continue to say that we have no direct evidence that Iran is supplying, equipping, training, and supporting and giving guidance through its uh, uh, Iranian Republican Guard Corps commanders that are on the ground with these forces? <laughs> I mean, it's just so unbelievable, Doc, to, uh, to see them say that. Uh, and it's just another indicator that uh, we're weak. When I say we, the United States, we have a weak commander in chief uh, who is more worried about escalation uh, than the enemy is. And when the enemy doesn't care about escalation, uh, they're going to continue to hit that. And I think they've demonstrated it again. The militias are back to launching suicide drones as of last night, aren't they? It doesn't surprise me that the administration is saying those things because it's nothing but lying propaganda. And for me personally, uh, and I know this is the case for you, war is the last resort when all other options have failed to um, resolve a volatile situation. But here's the deal, sir. If we must go to war, here is our strategic goal. And I've said this before in your show. We win, they lose. And we fight with every weapon in our arsenal uh, to achieve a quick victory and to end the bloodshed. We must annihilate the Iranian-backed militias, and dare I say, we should, de we should destroy the Iranian naval forces, the oil refineries, and the weapons factories. If we must go to war, that's what we have to do. These Iranian-backed Muslim militias will not stop attacking American forces because that's what they blindly believe it's their duty to do and are ordained to do by the Quran, Colonel. Well, I think I disagree with you slightly there, Dr. Errington. Uh, my proposal has been to, yes, destroy these militias and all of their command and control, their capabilities, their people, uh, track them down to the bitter end, uh, destroy the Iranian Navy on the high seas so that they can no longer provide intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, and command and control ships like they're doing for the Houthis in Yemen that are firing on commercial shipping of all nations. Uh, uh, a, a major uh, deportation from uh, uh, from international law of the sea and international laws of commerce that all of us, not just the Western nations, but all nations have agreed to follow uh, for hundreds of years. Uh, and now uh, you can't get through the Red Sea shipping lanes without being in danger of being attacked and everything. So we should remove that Navy. But most importantly, we should put the maximum pressure campaign of Donald Trump back together and throw the switch on it to strangle them financially. I don't even think you have to hit the, hit the, uh, uh, the oil facilities and those kind of things. Uh, you just have to do those three things and do them immediately. And you don't stop until your mission's complete on the Navy and on the Iranian-backed militias. Uh, and you, then you move forward and then that financial strangulation will reestablish deterrence because I, the Iranian mullahs and the IRGC commanders will have to put that back in their calculus. And remember, Joe Biden signed 94 executive orders on day one of his administration. A lot of them were removing the maximum pressure campaign on the Iranians. And then, of course, we gave them back $6 billion uh, that they could use to uh, fund all this stuff. Billion. Yeah. Yeah, so the mission that we keep hearing from the neocon pundits on the networks like Fox News and CNN and all that is that, well, there's two things that you're hearing. The first one is, well, they're there to, uh, to stop ISIS. Well, the ISIS caliphate was completely destroyed, dismantled. Uh, what was left of them were, just, you know, went underground, were tribal, you know, uh, uh, and uh, they're not coming back because we have their number now, you know. Uh, and then the second thing is, well, we're, we're, got, we're trying to interdict the, uh, the supply lines uh, going into Hamas uh, uh, or the Gaza war. Well, that's not our war, man. We have no business uh, with ground forces in Jordan, Iraq, and Syria at this point. The caliphate's gone. It's not going to come back. And by the way, 
you could reset those forces to somewhere in the area, but outside of being sitting duck targets, uh, trying to trigger an escalation for you, for your buddies, for a wider war to get more Americans killed, can't you? Well, you know, your audience needs, needs to know this. Uh, the difference between a Democrat in the White House and a Republican in the White House. Whenever a Democrat is in the White House, whether it be Johnson, Clinton, uh, Obama, or Biden, our military rules of engagement leave our soldiers at a distinct disadvantage uh, versus our enemy. You know what, Colonel? I'm not even sure that American soldiers in the Middle East have an already established contingency plan for responding to this type of attack that occurred with, with having a huge immediate retaliation on the enemy. And that's what we need to have in place before this happens. Again, the Democrats have different rules of engagement, and they put us, our soldiers at a distinct disadvantage. I know this, you know this. Maybe the audience doesn't know this, but they need to learn the real truth. Yeah, folks, uh, what Commander Arrington is referring to is there is such a thing called standing rules of engagement and the right to a military unit's to self, the ability to defend itself if attacked uh, is part of those standing rules of engagement. And there should have been a plan on the shelf after all these many months and all these many attacks to immediately begin uh, counterattacking and decimating these Iranian militias at a minimum and the, US, the Iranian Navy vessels that are providing targeting and command and control uh, before anything had to happen back home by a decision by the president of the United States. But that's not the way they're doing business. They're doing business with, okay, young Americans, you go out there and we're gonna put you out there uh, right at the point of attack and let you be attacked. And we're not gonna let you fight back until we approve your plan to do it. And it's gonna take days, maybe even weeks. I think it took five or six days in this case. That is ridiculous. It's been one of my major criticisms of this administration and this incompetent Department of Defense that continues its incompetence, which we first got a good look at it with the debacle that was called the withdrawal of Afghanistan. Doc, let's go over to the spaces and see if we've got a question over there. Kat, Shell, anybody from the audience have a question? I've got one for you. Go ahead. Um, as you guys already know, you already talked about how much they've weakened our military um dei all that all the things let me ask you guys both a question with both of your guys' experience what do you think and how what do you think it's going to take and how long do you think it's going to take for us to rebuild up our military because uh, he's he's decimated us and on the world stage as well as literally the actual military i'm just wondering what you guys thought on that well doc take the first stab at that one well, Biden and Obama before him, uh, how should I put this, foolishly released billions of dollars to Iran, uh, probably because of the, the uh, influence of Valerie Jarrett. And what did this do? This enabled Iran to fund and equip proxy forces to attack American troops in the region and most likely, folks, on our home soil soon. I think, and I'm not telling anybody who to vote for, you vote for who you want to, but I think if we get a strong conservative president back in the White House starting on January 19, 2025. It'll take about a year for us to rebuild our military to the, to the point where they are then feared again by the world and respected by our, 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 our friends on the world stage. Right now, our friends don't respect us and the world doesn't care about our military. They don't think we're gonna do anything and that's exactly what's happening. Oh, I'm going to tell you who to vote for. I've already endorsed Donald J. Trump because <laughs> I'm going to vote for somebody that didn't start a new war uh, in his time in office. I'm going to vote for somebody that had the the uh, ability to make commander decisions that resulted in the elimination of the ISIS caliphate. Okay, and I'm going to vote for the president of the United States, the person that doesn't leave our troops out as sitting ducks without the ability to immediately defend themselves before asking permission from the bosses back home. Uh, and I'm going to vote for the president that had a plan to, to leave Afghanistan without leaving billions of dollars of equipment and making the Afghanistan Taliban armed forces one of the most powerful in the world via the U.S. government's uh, capabilities that we left for them. 
and not to mention getting 13 American military members killed for no good reason because of those poor decision making. So I'm going to vote for that man, and I'm going to vote for the man that's going to that's going to uh, appoint and promote generals and admirals that are actually commanders and war fighters and not politicians that are interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and climate change BS. And they do their job, which is to fight and win America's wars if deterrence fails and maintain deterrence before that. Well, we got to take our second break, Doc. Uh, I'm Rob Manis, uh, talking with Dr. Randy Arrington. It's more War Mondays, and the situation with the U.S. and the Middle East is our topic. We'll be right back on the Rob Manis Show Live, Patriot.tv. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company, like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Now, the United States is expected to begin dialogue with the Iraqi government about the future presence of 2,500 U.S. troops who remain in Iraq. And this comes in the wake of the war against the Islamic State group. And according to the Reuters, the dialogue under a higher military commission was delayed due to the 7th of October attacks in Israel. Now, the talks are expected to take several months, if not longer, with the outcome still unclear and no U.S. troop withdrawal imminent. U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria have in fact been attacked about 150 times by Iran-lined militants that are based in Iraq. The U.S., on the other hand, has conducted a series of strikes. Now, the attacks have been led by powerful hardline Iraqi militia that are said to be close to Iran. The escalating violence has led the Iraqi Prime Minister Mohammad Shia al-Sudani to call for the quick exit of the U.S.-led coalition forces. Now, the Islamic State group has largely gone underground in Iraq, and this, more than four years after its final holdout, was defeated on the Syrian side of the Iraqi border in March 2019. Now, the U.S. scaled down its troop presence in Iraq in 2020. The American military personnel there mainly serve in an advisory role to Iraqi commanders. Now, nearly about a decade after the Iraqi military almost collapsed at the hands of the Islamic State group, Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show live here on Patriot.tv. It's More War Mondays, and we're talking with retired U.S. Navy commander and attack aviator, Dr. Randy Arrington, about the situation of the United States in the Middle East uh, post the tragic loss of three uh, soldiers into, uh, in Jordan based on attacks from the Hezbollah Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria. And I might add, you know, we've already lost two Navy SEALs too uh, to, in these combat operations. They were over in the, uh, in the operation against the Houthis that are attacking commercial shipping uh, in the Red Sea and, and around the Gulf of Aden and everything. But uh, uh, they are still losses, you know. And uh, Doc, uh, you know, we've kind of touched around on uh, withdrawing forces from the Middle East and, you know, I would just like to see us get those ground troops out of those bases because they really don't have a mission. I've described why they don't have the mission. They just touched on that in that clip about the ISIS caliphate being destroyed uh, and those kind of things. Uh, what's your thoughts on what that laydown should look like and that redeployment should look like? Well, if you think back when the uh, Marine barracks was hit, and uh, I think it was over 200 Marines were killed, uh, Reagan, in his policy response to that, pulled them out. 
And there's no reason, I don't think, for us to be in the Middle East. The Israelis can handle themselves. They've, they've done it many times before in the past. We don't need to have our soldiers on the ground in that region. We just don't. And, you know, uh, the Biden administration continues uh, the Obama administration's appeasement of these Muslim countries and, and funding of Iran. And, of course, now it's, it's been an abject failure, resulting in the death of both those two SEALs and these three soldiers, reserve soldiers from uh, Georgia. Colonel, Muslim nations do not respond to appeasement the way our politicians hoped they would. Muslim nations only respond to massive force being used against them. Trump took out Soleimani, I think after 19 or 20 uh, Americans were, no, it was one, it was one contract, just one contractor was killed by the Iranian forces. And Trump took out Soleimani, and this action sent a very clear message to Iran, uh, who remained silent until Joe Biden was installed as our president. Appeasement, Colonel, is not good policy, as Neville Chamberlain uh, quickly learned with Hitler. Biden needs to be, in my humble opinion, Biden needs to be quiet with a huge club in his hand instead of being loud with a flimsy twig. Yeah, but you don't think that we need to start a ground war and then bait Iran and bomb Tehran and all that stuff like Lindsey Graham and the nut jobs want to do. I mean, I, no. I'm for having our forces uh, out at sea or in other bases in the area as a deterrent force to the bad actors and hit them if necessary uh, to put them back in their box and those kind of things. And, and most importantly, protect commercial ship stock. I mean, that is a that is a right of every nation uh, and every company to sail the seas in international waters uh, without threat of being attacked, you know. And our defense of those seas goes all the way back to the Barbary Coast, uh, you know, I've got a painting sitting in front of me of the USS Constitution shooting cannon artillery onto the beaches uh, uh, against the Barbary pilots because they were interdicting uh, commercial shipping uh, and those kind of things. Uh, uh, so that's a function that we should be doing, I think. Uh, uh, but having these folks sitting on this in the sand there as sitting ducks, there's no reason for it. I agree with you. You know, well, let's go over to the Spaces audience. I see a couple of hands over there. Uh, let's get to it. Go ahead, Kat and Shell. Who's next? Go ahead, Wib. I, I would like to ask the question of this one-week uh, decision-making process schedule that they have, whether it be for spy balloons or ret uh, retributive uh attacks. I know when they skip that one week retribution schedule, they screw up big time like when they went when they did the strike on the on the suicide bomber in Afghanistan, they killed seven kids. But what is your comments about this tendency of theirs to take a week to respond to anything? Doc, you want to take it first? I, I think when you get right down to it, we are led in the White House and in the Pentagon, at least in contemporary America, by weaklings. Weakness is what the, the, the key word is in the White House and the Pentagon. And it started with Obama. And like I said, every Democrat president, that's their motif. That's their uh, MO. And they are very weak. And we can't afford to be weak when we are being attacked. And I, I mentioned this earlier, uh, maybe you didn't hear it. I said, for me personally, Colonel, war is the last resort when all other options have failed to resolve some uh, volatile situation. But weakness is the key with which we start every discussion right now when you look at what this administration is or not is not doing. And that's sad for the United States of America. Oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, oh, I definitely remember it. You know, I've said when you when an adversary opens the war box on the United States of America, we have to respond uh, because deterrence has failed and we have to reestablish deterrence. And you don't do it by doing tit for tat with, uh, you know, and that's what's going on. They use the excuse. Let me explain the decision week, uh, as you so rightly pointed out with the uh, uh that is the, I want to be deliberate in my uh, decision-making and take it serious because people are going to get hurt and die. 
Things are going to get destroyed. And by the way, we don't want to attack you on your timetable. We're going to do it on our timetable. All of those are excuses to buy time. So they, in this particular case, uh, can attack the targets, uh, be telegraphed to the enemy so they can remove any of their critical capabilities from those targets. Because what you have to remember is that the Biden administration is a friend to the Mullah government, the theocracy in Iran. They, they were the friends of theirs in the Obama administration and they're friends of theirs in the Biden administration. It's not just the president, it's everybody who supports him. So his advisors are telling him, well, we need some time to put the right courses of action and the right set of targets to really send the correct message. Uh, and then they give him the talking points to go out and try to sell this stuff. Uh, and all it is doing is getting Americans killed. Joe Biden has the blood of these three American soldiers from Georgia directly on his hands because he's feckless. His generals are feckless and he won't fire them. And his, the only thing he's got going for him is he's got some admirals out in the Red Sea and the Mediterranean that don't take any crap off of the Houthis and they definitely defend themselves and defend the, the target area that they're supposed to be defending, which is commercial shipping. And they don't have to ask for permission. And if he's tried to tell them they do, apparently they're not, uh, uh, not following that type of direction because it's wrong. Number one, uh, it's an unlawful order to tell your troops they can't defend themselves. Uh, and, but that's what's happening with the troops on the ground because Biden and his people are afraid of escalation when what they really need to be afraid of is that the enemy, the Iranians, are not afraid of escalation. And the only way to put them back in the box and deter, reestablish deterrence is to hit them with as much force and strangle them financially like President Trump was doing. Uh, and uh, that will do it. But they're not doing that. As we just wasted a whole bunch of bombs on a whole bunch of targets uh, and put a lot of people at risk and put our troops on the ground at even more risk who are now being attacked again. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, as of last night, the attacks have started again. Uh, and we're going to get more killed because they refuse to acknowledge that they've made a mistake by leaving those forces there in the first place uh, and that they really don't have a mission. And when you have governments, especially on the military institution part of the United States government, that refuse to acknowledge that they've made an error and, and try to correct it, uh, because they're going to be embarrassed, then you have lost the game already, uh, and you're going to lose more people. And eventually, if Biden stays in power, we will be backing out of the Middle East just like we left Afghanistan in full retreat, leaving everything there for the bad guys to come to this country. And by the way, they're already here, have been coming through his southern open southern border for years now, uh, setting up their internal domestic terrorism cells that they will use at their time and choosing because we refuse to eliminate them by finding them and deporting them or eliminating them in a kinetic way. You know, uh, well, we got another question over there uh, in the X spaces. Go ahead. Go ahead, Conservative Mega. Thank you very much, guys, for giving me the chance. So it's kind of um, back on a topic I was trying to get up, but um, some reason I didn't have the right reception, but on the topic of talking points, there's so many talking points we've been going off of and trying to stay up on top of everything. And, but the one, and, and the one we haven't really talked about too much and one I kind of wanted maybe more of the experts like you guys to, to kind of throw out there and, and maybe uh, share your opinions on is how can we get across that? We don't want a bunch of sissies representing our, our military and that cross-dresser that's supposedly acceptable because we're supposed to accept transgenders in our military. I don't know where we're going to be able to start talking about this and saying this is a no-no. Or are we going to be able to? Or is there going to be something that we can say on it? Is there um, people going to be having discussions on this so it can we can kind of get up another talking point, another word, something to kind of learn about and what we don't want? Thank you. Well, just use plain language. The plain language is uh, is that uh, 
gender theory, queer theory, critical race theory, or all Marxism. Uh, the, it's an old Marxist strategy to divide people. It's being used to divide internally the Department of Defense and the U.S. Armed Forces. Right now, we are rotting from within. That's why the Air Force's readiness is at the lowest it's been in recorded history as of last spring, according to the Heritage Report. Doc, we got to take our, our next break, but on the backside, I'll invite you to come right back in and answer that question in your way. I'm Rob Manus on Patriot.TV Live. It's more War Mondays with retired Commander Randy Arrington, and we're talking the Middle East and U.S. policy. What if this happened to you when you're alone? Or what if it happened here? With MedGuard Alert, you're never alone. You can connect with medical professionals anywhere, anytime. And now MedGuard is introducing our exclusive new CareWatch. If you need help quickly, use it from anywhere to contact medical professionals. No cell phone required. The CareWatch is not only a life-saving medical alert device, it's a revolutionary health monitoring system that checks your blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen saturation, and much more. And here's the best part. If you have Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. The care watch is only available through MedGuard Alert. Call us right now. We have monitoring programs starting as low as a dollar a day. The call is free, activation is free, shipping is free, and no contract is required. Remember, with Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. Don't wait. Call us to get your care watch right now. Operators are standing by. When I'm back at the Oval Office, we will cut off every penny of money that we send to the Palestinians and the terrorists on day one. We will fully support Israel in defeating, dismantling, and permanently destroying the terrorist group known as Hamas. But most importantly, we will keep the radical Islamic terrorists the hell out of our country, like I did for four years. If you empathize with radical Islamic terrorists and extremists, you're disqualified. You're just disqualified. If you want to abolish the state of Israel, you're disqualified. In addition, we will aggressively deport resident aliens with jihadist sympathies. We have to. This isn't like being Mr. Nice Guy. We have to. Oh, we're going to have a country that's going to be blown to shreds. Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show on Patriot.tv Live. And uh, we're talking more War Monday. That was President Donald J. Trump uh, very recently talking about his strategy uh, towards the Middle East and uh, countering Islamic terrorism, uh, Dr. Errington. Before the break, we had a question. I answered my answer on, on the front side. I want to give you the opportunity to answer that question about what are the things that we should be saying, talking, aka talking points about things like these transgender uh, uh, ideological moves within the armed forces, which are weakening us, quite frankly, and eroding the trust of the American people in the United States Armed Forces, I might add. Uh, every one of those things, critical race theory, DEI, uh, queer theory, transgender theory, they're all Marxist at their core, and they are designed to keep American people, the populace, uh, struggling and fighting with each other so that we don't pay more attention to what the politicians are doing until it's too late and they've already accomplished what they've accomplished and they, we become a totalitarian nation. The people right now that are in control of Biden, Biden's not in control, it's a cabal of Marxists who want to destroy this country and divide and conquer and create a Marxist revolution uh, during which we will then collapse the nation and become communists, and they're in charge. And they've got a whole bunch of useful idiots that are playing the game with them, but the useful idiots, like some of these generals that have been promoted, admirals have been promoted, uh, they don't understand. In a real communist regime, they will be among the first that are going to be brutally executed. That's what they're trying to do, to divide and conquer the United States people and keep us busy fighting each other so we don't have time to watch what they're doing. Exactly right. You know, uh, Mr. Trump there in, in his very short clip uh, was really focused on not just strength, but actual strategy 
and a plan to implement that strategy. That's what I've been talking about with his, his old maximum pressure campaign. I see that as going right back into place uh, the, the moment he raises his hand and finishes that oath of office because he can uh, and he should uh, do that. Uh, and we should be using every single instrument of power, not just military force. I think we've led with military force way too often uh, in, uh, uh, in the last 30 years, uh, especially since 9-11. Uh, and it's hurt not just our credibility, but it's hurt our national security uh, and the national security of our allies. And we're seeing it play out before our very eyes, aren't we? Uh, I think we're seeing it play out before our very eyes, but the, most of the people in the United States just want to be left alone. Leave me alone. Let me take care of my family, my community, and live my life. Don't bother me, federal government. But it comes a point of time where you have to be bothered. You have to understand what's happening. And you may have to pick up a weapon and form a militia and fight for your community because they're coming for you people. Trust Dr. Ray in this one subject. The Marxists are here. They're in power. And they're coming for you and me. Yeah, I was impressed with Mr. Trump's bringing back in uh, home security uh, again into his strategy uh, that uh, of a U.S. facing out at the enemies that want to destroy us that have come here already uh, and putting that as part of uh, part and parcel of those national instruments in order to eliminate those folks that have come in here. And they have, folks, they have. Uh, you've heard me say it. You just heard Dr. Arrington say it. You must be ready. You must buy more guns and ammo. You must train. You must organize your neighborhoods. You have to keep your head on a swivel because uh, if you think October 7th in southern Israel was really bad, and it was, it's the worst thing I've seen since the Holocaust, as quite frankly, as far as open attacks, intentional attacks uh, to rape, maim, kill, butcher civilians like babies and grandmothers Grandmothers that had the last Holocaust number tattooed on their arms that had been in concentration camps that had escaped the ovens and those kind of things. So uh, it was a good move to see him bring that into this discussion of defending America, not just uh, when we need to, when we're attacked or we need to eliminate a bad group of people from attacking us overseas, but going after the same group within the United States. Uh, and I think that's critically important because the other side has no clue and no desire to stabilize internally the United States of America and prevent that type of attack. I mean, you see it. There's over 50,000 Chinese military age males that have come through the Southern border illegally. Uh, over 150 known terrorist list terrorists, most of them Islamist terrorists, that have come through the southern border illegally all since Joe Biden took office. And it continues to this day. And now you have a bill, <laughs> a bill uh, from the U.S. Senate, a Republican named Lankford, that says we want to allow up to 5,000 a day before we do anything to come into the United States. And I'm going to say illegally, but they're trying to come up with a way in that bill to make them legal. Uh, before they even uh, call it an emergency, and they want to give emergency powers to the Secretary of Homeland Security and, uh, and money. make the court designate the D.C. Marxist court that's doing the J6 political trials, the court that you have to come to uh, when you're challenging something like that. It's crazy, uh, and it's going to, it is destroying our national security, uh, and our, our strategy towards the Middle East has to have that part and parcel as part of it in order to get this snake back in the box and reestablish deterrence, doesn't it, Doc? It does. And, you know, our, I would uh, I advise our policymakers in Washington, D.C. to be rational and responsible and not let uh, emotion cloud their responses. Raw emotion and frenzy, no matter the cause of such feelings, uh, is a terrible motivation to create 
good public policy. It usually is the motivation to create public policy that turns out to be horrible public policy. The ironclad law of unintended consequences takes effect when you use raw emotion and frenzy to create public policy. So I try to tell those policymakers, and I'm not sure Langford, uh, he's a Baptist minister, I believe, but I'm not sure what Langford's thought process is to allow 5,000 a day into this country that are illegal and call them legal. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, especially when you face a national security threat internally. Well, we've got hands up over in the spaces audience. Let's take another question before we close out the show here. Go ahead and jump in there, Joseph. Thank you so very much for having me. I'm out here in Laredo. So if I lose signal, bear with me. I apologize. But uh, I love to talk about Marxism. I love to talk about our military being infiltrated as well as our deep state of bureaucracy. My question would have to be, what process did we go with? Was Whether it will be Schedule F or, uh, yes, Schedule F by the executive or pinching of the purse by Congress? We have so many people who do not believe in our country, our Constitution, in power that are um, either appointed or hired on and not elected. How can we correct this course of function, not only in the deep state bureaucracy, but in our own military as well, and reestablish confidence? Thank you. Yeah, great question. Well, the Schedule F program is a program that uh, uh, my friend Russ Vogt, uh, as the uh, Office of Management and Budget Director, actually got to implement in the last months of the Trump administration. And that helps legally remove uh, those folks that are opposing and working directly and actively against a president's policies. And I'm talking about civil servants, you know, senior executive service, appointed officials, all of them that were not removed originally in the first administration, the Trump administration, and became the resist people, hashtag resist people. Now, we now have a program to do that. It's called Schedule F. And I've talked to Russ, and uh, he's talked to the president, and that will be implemented. Uh, but, uh, you know, Dr. Harrington, the Congress has got to do its part. I mean, the Congress has one really significant power. It's the most significant one. It was given to it on purpose. And that's, uh, as uh, the caller mentioned from Laredo, the power of the purse. They have to do their part uh, to take care of this business and end this this so-called deep state uh, uh, capability to ride roughshod over every single American, even the president of the United States. I think it was just today I, I read that Steve Scalise, the first district congressman of Louisiana, he's the uh, majority leader in the House, and uh, Mike Johnson, the speaker, said that that bill that's coming from the Senate, the Lankford Schumer bill, is dead on arrival. It's not going to go anywhere. And that's something that uh, you're talking about the power of the purse. The House of Representatives has the power of the purse, but they have to use it. They can't just threaten. They have to use it. I say all the time, shut the government down. You won't notice a thing wrong with the government when it shuts down for several weeks. And that's exactly the tr truth. Now, you talk about power. I always taught my students, and this came from Max Weber, the social philosopher in Germany. If you want to look at the real power in any a government, look at the bureaucracy. They're unelected. They're there for 50 years. Those people are the real power in any government. You're absolutely right. Well, Dr. Arrington, the time goes way too fast when we're talking uh, on any subject on these shows. Uh, so we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find Dr. Arrington on X at Randy Arrington 8, at Randy Arrington 8. Tomorrow's Training Tuesday. Man, I got a good one for you. Bobby Burak from OutKick is back with us. He's a regular on the show, writer over there. Censorship Industrial Complex and its long shadow it's casting over the 2024 election. Should be a very interesting conversation. I look forward to the audience feedback. And I'm Rob Manus, live on Patriot.tv. We'll see you tomorrow on Training Tuesday.